0: Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting vanityfair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's vanityfair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello, and welcome to
1: Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair.
2: It's such an honor to present this
1: next award.
3: And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to...
1: And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me.
2: I'm the
1: king of the world.
4: There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture.
1: I'm here with our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hi. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson.
2: Hi,
0: Katie.
1: So there's a lot to talk about this week. Today, as we record this, the Toronto Film Festival has announced the first part of their lineup, which includes a lot of really huge fall movie titles, many of which we've been talking about for months now. Um, So we'll be diving into the TIFF lineup and also sharing an interview that I'll be doing with Cameron Bailey, who is the co-head and artistic director of the Toronto International Film Festival. So I'm really excited to hear from him about how they made some of these selections. There have also been some trailers for several of the movies that are coming at Toronto. So we'll be talking about those, including Harriet and... Uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers movie. There's also the Cats trailer, which, just get ready, we'll spend maybe half an hour on Cats. But really quick, first, uh, this week is the release of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, Richard, you saw at and talked a little bit about. Joanna and I haven't seen it. Joanna very much doesn't want to be spoiled, so we don't want to go too long on it. But uh, just maybe as a refresher, Richard, where did you land on this movie?
2: I landed well in the performances and, uh, you know, particularly Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt uh, in true star turns uh, and then a little bit less with the, the movie as a whole. Um, you know, yeah. it's another kind of, um, I don't know where we are, mid-Tarantino, later Tarantino, uh, that just kind of rambles and doesn't really have a coherent plot or a cohesive plot anyway. And uh, that bothers me because I'm always just wanting him to say a little bit more. But, yeah, again, it's good performances. I think it will be polarizing and I'll be curious to see how well it survives the think piece machine because it gives off think piece pitches (laughs) at at a clip. I mean, there's a lot coming out of that movie.
1: Yeah, we've been kind of bracing for the Tarantino Wars since Cannes. So I guess uh, now's the time that they're going to begin.
0: Um, since you saw the film, uh, Richard, the Stranger Things season three has come out and Maya Hawk's sort of star is is much more on the rise. Does she have like quite a small part in this film or is this like another big, big part that we can sort of look to understand what kind of actor she might be in the future? Uh,
2: small, small. I mean, small. the only the only woman with any real part is Margaret Robbie as um Sharon right. Tate but even that is actually not that big of a role um I mean there are a couple other in the well I don't want to give away too many things but like there are other women if you know the story that the movie is sort of about uh <laughs> there are other women involved but um this is a two-man show really
0: with like dirty feet I am told so um there yeah. are some clean told... feet
2: too okay okay, mm-hmm. okay. All right. All right.
1: Uh, I was told by the Hollywood Reporter story that Leonardo DiCaprio was the last movie star left alive, uh, which mm. felt very weirdly uh, like leaving Brad Pitt out of the entire story. But uh, anyway, as like as a Leo performance, you know, maybe the first major one he's given since The Revenant. Can that really? It is his more? first
2: movie since then. Yeah. My
1: God. Uh, is is it worth the wait?
2: I mean, I think so. I, I You know, Leonardo DiCaprio is an interesting figure because I don't love his celebrity, um, but I love him as an actor. And I also kind of resented parts of The Revenant and and kind of what it stood for in terms of, like, tough man, go in snow, win Oscar, you know. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, he's so effortlessly engaging in this movie, even though, I say effortlessly, even though he's really doing a character role. um, You know, he's he's, he's really playing something, whereas Brad Pitt is more kind of resting on natural charisma.
1: Which is the best Brad Pitt, in my Mm -hmm.
2: opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it really reminds you of... Where, you know, where sort of Brad Pitt is sourced from, you know, from the early 90s when he showed up in Thelma and Louise and you were just like, oh, who is that? You know, I think he is an actor who, like DiCaprio to some extent, really has tried to run away from his natural movie starness, um, you know, by playing stern, serious characters or, you know, in, in in Pitt's case or in DiCaprio's case, doing accents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. This just kind of strips some of that away and, and lets them... Um, shine, as it were, and uh, it works quite well.
1: Well, we may check in on this movie again next week, because as predicted, there might be a lot of uh, think pieces to dig into. Um, So yeah, stay tuned for more on that. In the meantime, guys, you want to talk about cats? Cats!
2: What's that? Like, Do you want to talk about the animals?
3: (laughs) Have have we all been blinded in a, the
1: last week so that uh, all cats have been erased from our memories is this a is this the lion king uh, oh right podcast. yeah lion king uh, Yeah, we can talk about that lion yeah. King. yeah yeah <laughs> uh richard is the owner of two cats when you came home to your cats after seeing the the cats trailer uh what went through your mind
2: Oh, they weren't there when I got home because I had them shipped away before I got yes. back from LA. Um, I actually should sit down and have a, a chat with them about about this movie trailer. What to uh,
1: expect when expecting cats? Yeah,
2: yeah, um, uh, yeah. I was I watched it in a hotel room in Los Angeles, which is already kind of a surreal experience, and then that trailer, that two and a half minutes, just like I I was like, oh my god, gotta go to Twitter, and I opened up, you know, like write new tweet, and I just sat there and I was like, I'm 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 speechless in. in <laughs> <laughs> in, in a typing way. I just had no idea what to do.
1: Um, all right. So, we are all like, I think, avowed like fans of goofy ass musicals on this podcast. Like, I, I feel like if they're, we're not necessarily the target audience for cats, but we might be a more forgiving audience. And I might be the most forgiving in that I kind of figured that when we knew they were doing a CGI version of cats, this is sort of what we should have expected it to look like. <laughs> really? Um, like, oh. it doesn't feel like the uncanny valley to me because they don't seem human enough. It's weird, but like, cats is Cats is weird and I don't think that makes means this is going to be good, but it I'm not sure what else we could have expected.
0: Well, Cats is weird and um but I will defend that musical forever. I really love it. Um I think watching this whatever uh, it it does look upsettingly uncanny valley to me only because like the hands are human, and why do the female cats have breasts? And, like, what's happening with all of that? I mean, I guess that's true of the stage show. But, like, why not just put them in the makeup, then, of the stage that's, show? That's a great question. <laughs> like, if you're going to make them that, this humanoid, why are they not just... In in leg warmers, uh, I would rather see that. To be honest with you, um, yeah. And I just think I think uh, I was I was first to say that I thought the the reactions out of CinemaCon, which was this like you know this. Debut of some, I don't know, imagery. I feel like people at CinemaCon saw something. They saw something. I think they saw the behind-the-scenes thing that dropped online the day before
1: the oh, okay. Cats trailer. With,
0: like, the giant furniture. And they were like, the furniture.
3: Yeah, the- and where the term uh- digital
0: fur technology came uh, from. Right. And they were like, they were like, the furniture's giant. And I was like, yeah, calm down. It's okay. They're cat-sized. And then I saw it. And I was like, <laughs> no, it looks so weird. It just does. Uh, here's the deal. I love musicals. We all, three of us, love musicals, I believe. Um, but... I'm frus—I'm increasingly frustrated by this like low bar set for the movie musical where I feel like um, I feel similarly about Greatest Showman where there are things that I liked about Greatest Showman. But overall, I think it was like very cheesy, didn't hang together, had a lot of spectacle without like a real focus on making a really good tight story and like really uh, good musical numbers out of that. And but it made a ton of money. I think Cats is going to make even more money because all the people are going like, to like, go hate watch it. And, uh, and we're going to keep getting these like weird musicals that aren't good, but everyone goes to see them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That's not the future I want for the movie musical um, myself. So, yeah. Richard, where are you on Cats? A few
1: days removed from the initial shock.
2: Um, I don't know. I, I was listening to some podcasts where they were like, Oh, people are making fun of that trailer, but they're like, "Think Endgame is great? That's a cartoon too." And I was like, "Hmm, that's an interesting point." But I, I think, I think that like the, the the thing that I've not seen really in the conversation about this. I mean, people obviously have mentioned the original musical that this movie is based on, but. This is not uh, a case of something looking strange and no one having any idea what it is. Like people, we know what Cats is, you know, and and it's it's not like Greatest Showman where we were like, all right, like there's going to be all new songs. It's a a brand new piece of property. What's it going to show us? Cats is what it is. And they may add a song or two or whatever, but like most of the songs in Cats are not the big chilling inspiring thing that the trailer kind of suggests. They're mostly silly and kind of frivolous and throwaway. And I think when you're actually sitting down and absorbing the bulk of the movie, that's gonna really kind of register. You're like, oh I'm just sitting here watching these cats sing about being cats. Um
1: (laughs) that is literally the plot of cats. It literally
2: just it's just a list of cats. You know, and I, so I think that's a major hurdle that the movie has to I don't know leap over if it can um, because but I don't know how you do that because it seems like they're adding a narrative. Um, there's like a new character or or at least I think it's a new character or at least a storyline. I mean there are there are spoken lines in the movie in the way that there aren't on the stage in the stage show. So, you know I think they're going to do their darndest to 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 make it feel more narrative and more engaging on an emotional level. But you know if if they hew closer to the original stage piece like there are emotional moments i suppose but like really only at the end so just uh,
1: memory basically just yeah
2: exactly so um which they obviously showcase in the trailer as they should they have an oscar winner singing it but uh, I, i don't know i think it has a steeper hill than just a weird trailer
0: Yeah, I think uh, what happened is so the the, the character you're mentioning is Victoria, the white cat. Like she's kind of central in the in the trailer and played, um, you know, by a ballerina. Dancer, I think Francesca Hayward is her name, but um, that is just like a dancing role in the show, and they've decided to make her it seems like the protagonist, like the like a co- sort of Clara figure going through the Nutcracker realm and like maybe meeting all these different cats and stuff like that. And it does remind me actually of, of Nutcracker adaptations where you see like the ball, the stage show ballet that you see in in the theater is different from any movie version where they feel like they need to add even more narrative to it. So you mean they're um, aiming for that
1: Nutcracker in the four realm mega hit dollars i mean
0: all that for realm money (laughs) four (laughs) quadrants four realms so many realms to choose from (laughs) um yeah so i don't know that's sort of the vibe i'm getting but we'll see i don't know i just i i I wanted it to be i was oddly rooting for this film until i saw that trailer and now i'm like okay everyone was right this is gonna be a thing
1: Yeah, I think I like want to root for cats just because I like I I want to root for something that is weird and trying something, even if the trying something is kind of like a weird, garish CGI version of what was done perfectly well with makeup. Like, I think I tweeted this like it will be a more interesting middle brow hit than Bohemian Rhapsody at least. Um, But I do think what you were saying, what you guys were both saying about like being stuck in this film that's not really a narrative, especially if they like try to plant something on it. I mean, film is just so much more literal than theater, and you can go and watch a bunch of people dance around as cats on Broadway for a little while and kind of be satisfied but that's not what people expect from movies and that's not what they're going to be trying to do that they're going to be trying to do while making a bunch of money off of this um and that worries me that it's either going to be like boring or have a really stupid and thin plot like put on it that i guess also makes it boring
0: cats (laughs) <laughs> wait 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 wait! follow up follow up before we roll off cats uh is it going to win any awards or be a contender Ooh. for any awards i mean they're opening it on christmas day
1: like i feel like they're gonna try it and they're
0: adding they're adding a song right
2: what cat- oh, categories sure. would it be in hey. uh, <laughs> sounds um, like song what, i have a question also about the trailer uh and we can go back to oscars to join up but like Do you think the actors had seen footage... When that when that trailer w- dropped, because there's that feature out where t- all the actors are talking about like the the fur technology and all this stuff, but like I don't know, I made a joke on Twitter that like Tree Payne, Taylor Swift's publicist, was like immediately on the phone being like, "How can we get out of this? Like, <laughs> what are our options here?" Because um, I have to. Imagine I think they of the actors saw some like,
1: kind of like rendering of what their characters were going to look like. They yeah. must have like been given something to get them to sign off. But like
2: in action, like that, but leaping emotion, around. But in yeah, I yeah. don't know, yeah. probably yeah. not. Yeah, um, but Oscar-wise, yeah, there is a new song, I believe. Um, And I don't know, there are these couple newcomers. Like, it's not just um, the actress playing Victoria, but there's another guy who kind of looks like Daniel Radcliffe in the trailer. He's new, so I don't know, maybe there's like supporting stuff happening. Judy Dench, you know, he was on that
0: terrible. Katie messaged me actually when the trailer came out, she's like, who's this guy? And I was like, Oh, he was in that terrible William Shakespeare show that was on TNT. That was made by a guy he's- who said at TCA, I hate William Shakespeare. So I decided to make this show. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: William Shakespeare." Uh, he, anyway. he is handsome. He's playing Mr. Mistopolis, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's very handsome when he's not a cat. And when he's a cat, he's a little uh, goofy looking. So Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if if they if Jennifer Hudson hadn't already won an Oscar for singing a single song, they like could do a Anne Hathaway style campaign, you can imagine. But I don't know that that works for her a second yeah. time. Nomination. Yeah. I mean, and you can also definitely also see like a greatest showman type fate for it. where like, that became such a hit like over January kind of after the Oscar buzz cycle had ended. And like, if it had opened two months earlier, you could see it going through, but they want the Christmas, um, you know, holiday dollars instead, which I guess I can't blame them
2: yeah, for. And I say, if, if the kids of today are going to be reviving old fashioned things like high waisted stonewashed jeans and little <laughs> tiny sunglasses, they have to like cats. They have, they have, you, you have to take the whole <laughs> nostalgia thing. You know, you, you, you can't just pick and choose. Um, so that will, I, I think they they need to embrace cats uh, even though it's gonna I think seem very corny to them Seeing oh.
1: the logo, definitely, like, I know there must have been someone in my elementary school who had the, like, black Cats mm-hmm. logo sweatshirt with the eyes, and I was like, God, I would love one of those And it usually
2: oh, meant they'd like, one go- of those. It meant they'd gone to New York, usually.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. obviously. Yeah.
2: Oh, my God. I um, had
0: one of those, and I had a fan of the opera, like, a night shirt with a glow-in-the-dark mask on it that oh scared, my scared, God. Me, scared me in the bathroom mirror more than once. I was like, Wah! oh, yeah, it's just my go shirt. Go find
1: okay. that shirt. <laughs> okay, so we'll continue talking about trailers, and we want to welcome Cam Collins, who's also joining us in studio. Uh, Cam, any, any lightning cats takes before we move on to other things?
4: Um, I would just say that I, like many other people, show the trailer to my cats and they were not interested. So
3: <laughs> there you go. I'm shocked.
4: <laughs> so that's the review. The target demo has spoken. Yeah, that, that's, that's what the cats have to say about that.
1: So there's been a big rush of trailers lately, and now we somewhat know a lot of them are because they're on the Toronto Film Festival lineup. And um, the one that dropped yesterday as we record this is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers film starring Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers uh, and directed by Mariel Heller, who directed Can You Ever Forgive Me? And um, Richard, I really love what she told you when she was on this podcast uh, during award season about how having a son inspired her to make it and like wanting to make it about a a good and decent man and how to be a man who is good in the world. Uh, Did you see that in the trailer?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, it, 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 it's it's sly casting to sort of cast you know a, a sort of dad like American figure like Tom Hanks in that particular role, and you know the trailer's sweet. It looks it looks very simple. I mean, it looks like it's just be kind of an interview thing. My my kind of issue with it, and I you know I think Marla Heller is great. I think the movie you know has a lot of potential. Is like Tom Hanks is I you know I like him. But uh, he doesn't seem quite Fred Rogersy to me. Like Fred Rogers had a kind of reedy, kind of delicate quality to him that Tom Hanks doesn't really have. Mm. Um, and even the accent felt or sounded a little off. But I mean, I'm sure he'll be good. But um, I don't know. I wasn't as overcome by the trailer as some people seem to be. Yeah, Camp some people cried land? over the trailer. I think. I don't. Really? You know, I don't really
4: have. <laughs> I grew up kind of watching Mister Rogers, but. I was more of a Barney guy, I would say. I think I'd cry at a Barney trailer. But... Where's your
1: Barney biopic?
4: <laughs> you know what? Actually don't make it. I actually don't wanna I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so isn't what's that what Death with Cats? I don't, Death, wanna, I don't wanna I don't want Death
0: to Smoochie a Barney biopic? Oh I, I
4: guess know. we yeah, I guess we we did that already. Um Yeah, I I I'm excited mostly because it's Mario Heller. I really liked Can You Ever Forgive Me and I think that she's really sharp and Yeah, it, it is Tom Hanks by Tom Hanks to me a little bit. But I love Tom Hanks, so I'm willing to watch him in anything. And I think Fred Rogers is an interesting guy. And I think that Meryl Heller, just based on her last film, um, I think that she won't overlook some of the idiosyncratic strangeness of the guy, um, which is which is not something I would say about anyone making this movie. I think I think that she's more canny than that and more interested in just like the unique qualities of people rather than just their kind of iconic qualities so that stuff has me excited and you know the trailer i think the trailer did its job i think we're going to definitely see this movie i think it's fascinating mm. to think that a mr rogers movie i just feel like it's going to be a hit to me I, I, I just just my sense the documentary was really big it's tom hanks you know it's like one of our great still a movie star stars
1: and it does feel like so it, it, it promises, like even if it, it gets into more interesting idiosyncratic things about Mister Rogers, like I don't think this movie's gonna make you feel bad. Like it's no, a, it's right. kind of the like warm bath that the documentary offered, where you just like get to revel in someone who made it his life's
0: work to be good to people and to children, and yeah. that I don't, that's a, that's pretty appealing I've, to me. I think what's a slight obstacle to me I mean they have me right like because you know how trailers you say have have like the little trailer in front of the trailer right mm-hmm. and this one starts with just Matthew Reese crying <laughs> yeah. I'm like oh <laughs> I was like I'm in shoot yeah. um, so I'm really into that but uh, my barrier of entry is that for me at times uh, Tom Hanks's Fred Rogers sounds too much like Forrest Gump and <laughs> then I get like distracted by some gumpiness and, and it's like it's hard for me and someone else was like he also sounds a little charlie wilson to them oh no so it's just like a melange (laughs) of like that pop culture icon charlie wilson (laughs) (laughs) melange of the tom hanks southern accent sort of things um so i don't know i like and i'm worried that you know the, you know, be kind to your neighbor, be simple, be true message of Forrest Gump is too close to what this is. I don't know. We'll see. Um, maybe it won't be an issue when I see the long form thing, but that was my immediate takeaway. You guys are just aren't letting the kindness of Mr. Rogers into your heart.
4: Yeah. I'm letting the tears
0: of Matthew Reese into my
4: heart. I do think the documentary was good for that. Um, yeah. And that might be the thing. I think I, I, think I got my Mr. Rogers yeah. closure mm-hmm. last year. So this is great, but I do
2: wonder what it's going to provide that I didn't already feel last time.
4: Mm. Yeah, that's
2: a good point. And I I think, you know, the the movie could be more expansive than what we see in the trailer. But, like, if it is just this sort of, you know, following him along, you know, throughout the course of a day or a week or whatever, and then these interview things, like, I don't know if that's going to be quite and enough to tell me something new that i mean i didn't think the documentary was that well made but mm-hmm. i thought it certainly hit some pressure points where i was like crying at, at the end but uh yeah i think there there needs to be some added emotional value which i think to your point Cam, that like hopefully given that this mario heller doing it who did such a good job with another real life person and can you forgive me um that she'll she'll mine some of the the other things about fred rogers that you know we don't Really know much about or talk much about. I mean, I'm thinking in particular there was that thing in the in the documentary about him being not homophobic exactly, but telling one of the cast members in the show that they could never go to a gay bar again because if they were seen going to a gay bar, it would ruin the show. You know, and like that's you know that's 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 complexity right there to yeah. to 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 a character that we don't tend or a person that we don't tend to think of in complex complex terms. So um, you know, my fingers crossed for that, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be. Uh, world premiering at Toronto and, and I think it'll make a huge splash there and I think you're right Cam that it will people will go see it
1: well, we have to remember when you talk about the Oscars of it that Tom Hanks is on this insane two-decade-long cold streak with uh, Best Actor nominations. Like he <laughs> yeah. hasn't been nominated since Cast Away, which is completely insane. The fact that Captain Phillips got a Best Director nomination and he didn't get nominated like is is my most puzzling Oscar stat. That in was less. very strange. That was so strange. So I don't like. I don't know if this is the thing that's going to make up the difference. Like every time it seems like Tom Hanks is in a can't lose role, he seems to miss out anyway. But I'll. I mean, I'll be pulling for him for that alone. He has two Oscars. What well, he needs. Katie, more. you can't yes. lose
2: if you're not nominated. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting back letting you yeah. guys all chase those Oscars <laughs> together.
0: I heard Tom Hanks was our last movie star and doesn't need awards. Whoa. So. The Hollywood reporter just, just said
2: Leo is the last movie. <laughs> right. I know, and Leo I know. I'm just gonna needs like awards. He still, he still I'm just wants gonna, awards.
0: <laughs> just gonna <laughs> declare every person the last movie star. That's like my new favorite. Would we like to declare <laughs>
1: Cynthia Rebo our last movie star and move on to Harriet?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh I yes. Heard the, I heard that
1: Maya Hawke is our last movie star. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's talk about the Harriet trailer, which dropped this morning as we record this. It's also on the TIFF lineup. It's directed by Cassie Lemons, who's been uh, making films for a long while, but I don't think has ever made a kind of historical film quite on this uh, level. It's a it's a Harriet Tubman biopic, which uh, is kind of crazy. That's the first like big studio version of this that we've had. Uh, the thing that I can't get over, which I'm just going to have to get over, is that it stars Cynthia Erivo and Leslie Adam Jr. and Janelle Monae, who are phenomenal singers, and is not a musical, which feels mm. strange to me. Uh, but otherwise, there's a lot of intriguing stuff about this, even if it does kind of seem to tread a little bit in the traditional like here is a historical biopic about a figure who deserves one um what what was y'all's read on this
2: I mean, I'm excited about the Cassie Lemons of it all because she hasn't made a movie since 2013, Black Nativity. And then before that did uh, the movie with Don Cheadle, Talk to Me, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. But, like, she's somebody who in the 90s with Eve's Bayou just kind of came out of the, you know, it was just like, oh, my God, who is this? Like, you know, I remember her being an actress in Silence of the Lambs. She plays Clarice Starling's roommate uh, at at Quantico. Um, So, I don't know. I've just always you know, kept an eye on her career because she because Use Bio was so exciting. And she's done I mean, she's done good stuff since. So but this feels like the most high profile thing that she's had in a while. So um I'm 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 pretty eager to see what she does with it. I mean my, my issue with biopics in general is that they can be tend to be because they have to hit certain plot points, they they're kind of programmatically um, paced. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if she can break out of that. This trailer does not Inspire a ton of confidence that they've figured out a new way to tell a, a biopic story, but um, we shall see. And and you know, Erivo had a big year last year uh, with Widows and uh, uh, Good Times at the El Royale. Bad, time
1: Bad at times. Bad times. Excuse me. Um,
2: <laughs> I wish they were good times. Um, so <laughs> let's see if she can kind of continue on that wave. I think she can. I think she's an exciting uh, screen performer. Yeah, the cast
4: is great. Um, and I'm also I I'm a I mean Eve's Bayou growing up was a huge, just a huge movie. And I don't know why, I guess I was expecting a trailer that was more in line with that, given that she did, you know, like not a not a real life figure, but a kind of historical, moody, um, and swampy, uh, complicated, spiritual, mystical, <laughs> um, all these things, uh, movie about black people in the 90s. Um, I think I was expecting a trailer that wasn't hitting the emotional notes so hard but of course it you know it's a Harriet Tubman movie and i think that that makes sense i don't know what it says about the movie it feels like you would have to advertise this movie in a particular way um and so i almost feel like i can't trust the trailer i'm hoping that the trailer is less interesting than the movie that's the best case scenario cuz yeah the trailer yeah. the trailer is like yeah i could i could see why people would want to see this this is not showing me the cassie lemons of it all really um and the things that i know that she can do so I'm I'm excited I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that it's that it's, you know that it's more than what I'm seeing in the trailer.
1: Yeah, I think Harriet Tubman is almost like Mr. Rogers in a way where it's a figure who who means so much to culture and has right. such a huge role to play that you like how do you bring out shades of this person as a person as opposed to just this like this big historical symbol and it does feel like in the trailer we're getting Harriet Tubman big historical symbol right but also I don't know how you would get nuance like that across in a trailer so right. I think you're right to give it the benefit of the doubt in that way Cam.
2: I think it also says something sort of <laughs> sorry about our culture that, like, in in a trailer for a biopic about one of the most important, you know, American historical figures we have that, like, they keep showing the gun. And right. it's, <laughs> it's like <laughs> just to get people involved, you know, like, um, like, I just I don't know. It, it's just sort of sad that that's how we have to kind of t- entice people in. But yeah, I I, I I think that's a good way of, of looking at it, Cam. Like, I hope that the least interesting thing about this movie is its trailer. Yeah. Um. Because I, I don't know. I has I mean because you know there had been a Steven Spielberg, tub and biopic in the works with Viola Davis a few years ago and that kind of fell through and 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 so that, that that this is the one that kind of pushed through to getting made. I hope that that means it has something special animating it. Um. And maybe that's just Cassie Lemons being involved. Maybe it's you know also Cynthia Revo and who and the other cast. But um. I don't know. Uh, I I I hope that if this is the this is the one that that finally made it to the finish line, that it 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 did so in good fashion.
1: I mean, to give credit to the gun, maybe a little bit. Like, I think the cultural image of Harriet Tubman is like, you know, this like woman like whispering to slaves, like making their way through the Underground Railroad, is this like motherly guiding figure. And so, seeing her kind of as a warrior is at least a, a somewhat of a riff on mm-hmm. her image. Right. Um, Although it does make it seem like there's action in this movie, not like, you know, people like debating slavery in rooms. I don't know what else you would expect.
4: Yeah, and there is, there is like a sense that I I guess I do a, a little bit lament that we can't as a culture agree that she's automatically interesting without her having to be what feels like a 21st century historical warrior in a way. Like I, mm-hmm. she's like, she's literally Harriet Tubman. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. you
3: don't,
4: like there's no, you don't have to prove that she like you, there's nothing you have to prove to me about this person. She like speaks for herself it, you know her reputation far far precedes her it, it, it is it's weird that we have to that we have to kind of milk the audience's affection or excitement in a particular way but again yeah that's the that's the job of the trailer and I and I expect with Cassie Lemons behind it that that it's a much more complicated and um interesting movie I think it also from what I saw of the trailer and the I'm remem- forgetting something there's really not much slavery per se, uh, Mm -hmm. and the way that we think of slavery in images and and the violence of that, um, which is something that slavery movies in their trailers never deny you. So this is interesting to me, like the extent Mm. to which it's going to be, how much of this is going to be about her slave experience and how much of it is really just about the fugitive and after experience um, is interesting to me. Because I don't want to see Harriet Tubman getting whipped, but she also was. That's a part of the story. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, but you can
0: choose how much of that story needs to be the version that you're telling.
4: Right, right.
0: Well, if we're going to talk about categories of things to be not like maybe you will get your musicalness, that was, yeah, that's I something know, that we that that just said earlier. Categories. If we're going to talk about that, then like you know maybe we'll get an amazing song with Janelle and Leslie and Cynthia. Out of oh, yeah, wouldn't
4: maybe wouldn't that plays, be plays amazing? I love that. That yeah, actually, was there no song in the trailer to that regard? That surprises me that that's not a selling point.
2: Right. 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 Like a Janelle song. I mean, song. There's like, like, be. like a, a Mary song J. Blythe over Blythe the credits.
0: Song. Someone's got to have a song over the credits. Yeah, there's going to be some song. It's going to be amazing. Troy and... Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor Swift and Beyonce, who thought that they had it all locked up, are going to be like, oh no. Sam Smith I... will be
4: the second gay man to win an Oscar.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's time Harriet Tubman honor Sam Smith. <laughs>
1: Well, Harriet and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood were two of the titles announced with the Toronto Film Festival lineup this week. But there are so many others to choose from. And I don't really know where to start other than maybe each of us just, like, picking something off of the list that we really want to get into. Uh, I'm personally continuing to stand for the Goldfinch because I think John Crowley is great and I love Brooklyn so much. So I was excited, not terribly surprised to see it on the lineup, but uh, excited to see it on there. Um, yeah. Richard, how about you?
2: Well, also, Katie, you are Angela Elgort's publicist, so you, I oh, feel like you yeah. should. I mean,
0: I've been on the West Side <laughs> Story set ever everyday Disclose guy it just looking great the West- you're the one who told him to change his name to Ansel Elgort <laughs> from Bob Jones right <laughs>
2: West Side Story you never forget it filmed outside my apartment for a little bit um Uh, Like right outside of it. Um, So before I say what I'm excited about, I just want to just for clarification's sake. So I might be referencing things that will be at Telluride or Venice based on what Toronto says. So the rubric that I'm using is if a movie says world premiere, that means it's world premiering at Toronto. It's not playing somewhere else. If it says North American premiere, that means it's not playing at Telluride, but is playing at Venice if it's new and hasn't been in Cannes or wherever. And if it says Canadian premiere, that likely means it will be at both Venice and Telluride. Does that make sense?
1: Or yep. that's, and a couple of these, they played at Cannes. Like right. I've seen yes. a few movies right. that are, have been already right. out or like played at Sundance. But
2: of the new stuff, the brand new yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. that's right, that's right. kind of the rubric. Um, that said, I mean, Judy's on this list and it says Canadian premiere. So that leads me to believe that it will be at both, both Venice and Telluride. So it'll have like a nice long walk up to wow. Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that that means that you know, Renee is getting the, the full Oscar campaign treatment. I had been told that it was only going to play at Telluride, but apparently that's not the case. So um, I'm I'm very curious It's pretty about rare that.
1: for something to only play Telluride, isn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah. No, it, it doesn't happen very often.
0: Joanna, what stuck out for you? I mean, I'll just stay on brand because you need me to and talk about Joker, which apparently <laughs> allegedly is the first comic book film to uh, premiere at TIFF. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw a great tweet from someone that was like, congrats, Tiff moviegoers. You'll be the first to get yelled at for your opinions about the Joker. Um,
2: so <laughs> no, because it's going to be at Venice.
0: <laughs> oh, It, it okay. says
2: in, uh, uh, North American premiere, North Premier, American right?
0: premiere. Yeah. Man. Oh, right. Okay. Congrats, Venice. <laughs> <festival goers. laughs> I don't know uh, what the Italians <laughs> think about the Joker, but I guess we're going to find out. But like how amazing that that's, I mean, it's just, it's odd. I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm really excited for this project in a way that I am not excited for any other joker project because it just looks like very far out there um, and I'm excited for what kind of mess that is so um yeah and yeah. I'll,
2: I'll be curious to see if the studio decides to like also do junket screenings with the um the kind of fanboy stuff people that they're that they are usually do they they, they usually like the first audience to see these movies are like the ardent fans, and so they can get the tweets out and get you know momentum yeah. going. I mean, you're thinking about like the effusive tweets about Dark Phoenix that, that came out before, yeah, the L- it's yeah. this like that LA screening that yeah, always yeah, happens right? That was weird. Um, so it'll be funny <laughs> if that doesn't happen that the first people weighing in on this are like film critics at a film festival
0: in Venice, <laughs> yeah,
2: or yeah, and then Toronto. So, like, it's I just think that like there's a funny but, but like, maybe that's. Maybe that's deliberate because they're they're clearly trying to package this as something else. You know um, what you're
1: making me realize is that's exactly what happened with The Stars Born last year. It played at Venice, and people at Venice were like, "Yeah, it's good. Like it works pretty well." And then played at uh, Toronto, and people like you and me, Richard, like, like "Oh, Cam, you are in that same screening too. We yeah. were all there. Um, it was like, lost, yeah. lost our damn minds." Um, yeah. And it opened actually the so Joker's opening uh, October fourth, and that's the exact window that A Stars Born opened last year from Warner Brothers. Like they are they're somehow using the Stars Born playbook from Joker, which is fascinating.
4: So are we going to get the same kind of photos of Joaquin Phoenix in a gondola and a gown that we got <laughs> of, of Lady Gaga? Because I want but, them like, to replicate the would. whole press thing, too. Lady Gaga really did that last year. She really did. But Joaquin's in the makeup.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> in a wedding gown, in Joker makeup. Yeah, that's what yes.
1: I want. Um, Cam, what, uh, what's up for you on this list?
4: I think I'm most excited for uh the safty brother adam sandler movie uncut gems yeah i'm a really big fan of their previous movies good time and heaven knows what and others but uh yeah i'm i'm into i'm into gritty adam sandler <laughs> um i i these are directors who i just uh i think are really interesting new yorky kind of trying to bring the 70s back in their aesthetic streetwise or you know new york directors so i'm interested in that and just i don't know i i like it when adam sandler i like first of all i like adam sandler's bad movies i'll always watch them even when he really tests my patience like on Netflix. have you been watching year. all the netflix movies i i've i've been watching them i'm a i'm a dutiful you gotta with adam sandler you're in it you know so <laughs> you're just in it um, you committed
1: with the water boy <laughs> can't it out you do. now but then, I love uh,
4: but then i do love you know and i i don't think it's it's not just a like a kind of auteurist value thing. I, th- I think that he's also just really interesting when he does like Meyerwitz stories, um, Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems. I think like that category of movie is interesting for him because he's just such a like, r- weirdly versatile actor. Um, and I think he's good when he's angry. And I think that seems possible in a Safety Brother movie. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for kind of angry comic neuroses. Something
2: about diamonds. I'm. I don't even know what the movie's about. I just. Yeah. I just am excited. <laughs> well, I think there are a
1: bunch of. Go
2: ahead, Richard. Uh, it'll be interesting because I, I feel like the Safties have been percolating. I mean, they obviously have had some critical hits. Um, good time, you know, premiered at Cannes, got good reviews there not for me, but um, uh, I just don't, I'm not on the wavelength of, of, of them, but um, I, I, they're good technical filmmakers, obviously. But, you know, with Sandler involved, I mean, Good Time had Robert Pattinson, but he's not he's not Adam Sandler. And so I, I wonder if, because Sandler's there, if it will bring more attention to yeah. these directors and thus kind of set them on the course of, you know, whatever else. I mean, I was watching, I re-watched um, Midnight Cowboy recently um, and it's just like you see such a line from that movie to Good Time, like yeah. in terms of their like new york kind of psychotropic a little bit um vibe um so yeah I, I i do at least um even if i don't love um what their movies are about i i i like that they are hearkening back to a different era and and really yeah. have a technical um idea in mind uh, when they make films so that i mean i don't know so anyway that plus sandler could mean that they have a whole new kind of level of profile uh after toronto
1: there's a lot of titles on here that I think we all kind of knew to expect like Judy like Hustlers which had a trailer came out last week um, which I think we all kind of had a collective internet freak out about um, but there's a bunch of things on here that I had no idea existed I got really taken by the true history of the Kelly gang this Australian drama yeah. like based on a novel with Russell Crowe Nicholas Holt and Thomason McKenzie who was so great Leave No Trace last year um, yeah. I got really excited to see that um, Do you guys
2: butcher. have any other like,
0: smaller highlights the Ned Kelly sequel we deserve um,
2: yeah. <laughs> well the other thing about that Movie is that it's directed, I believe, by Justin Kurzel, right? Is that mm-hmm. his name? Mm-hmm. Um, so he did that Macbeth movie uh, with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, if I'm correct.
1: And Assassin's Creed.
2: And Assassin's Creed, which won obviously so many Oscars. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I, I think that's really interesting. It does, it could also, from a different perspective, seem like a very TIFF movie, and then, like, it's just one of those historical things. It's just kind of, someone saw it on the Tuesday, but, like, there's, like, two reviews filed, you know. Um, It it can really go either way with that festival. Um, Based on a Booker Prize winner.
4: Yeah, it does does have a, a certain pedigree. But the story should be more interesting. You know, it is Ned Kelly. I hope that we do something more interesting than the than the thing that I think it might be. We'll see. It could be
1: this yeah. year's Outlaw King.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with one second of penis.
0: <laughs> oh, and Russell I mean, Crowe doing a Scottish accent, I heard. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you get the people talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, oh, and then the other thing that I wanted to point out was uh, the friend from Gabrielle Cowperthwaite, who directed Blackfish, the uh, and then she made... Um, Megan Levy, I think is the movie with Kate Mara, um, that kind of right. came and went, but, um, it's got Casey Affleck and Dakota Johnson and Jason Siegel, And it's adapted from this completely heartbreaking Esquire article about written by this man whose wife was dying and their friend came and moved in with them and like helped them through this entire process. And I feels like it's been a long time since Jason siegel has been around and I've been kind of waiting yeah. to see what he would do next. And this is really intriguing material for him.
4: I didn't realize that that's the article it was based on. I remember yeah. that article. Oh, man, that's going to be a downer. Maybe, sort of.
1: Yeah, real downer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> With Jason
4: Segel. Everyone's, everyone's doing downers now. That's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean. You know, that's the times. Yeah. yeah. The All the our times. comedians are in these sad or gritty or (laughs) no one does comedy or musicians aren't doing musicals what is going on
0: (laughs) speaking Um, of comedies though (laughs) Richard what's your rubric for the premiere of Jojo Rabbit that's a world premiere Uh, that's
2: Toronto that's that's a world premiere
0: all right so that's Taika Waititi's thing uh where he's playing Hitler there was a screening of it like this week, I think, somewhere, some people saw it and are saying amazing things about it. So um, I'll be curious to see. I mean, I think the premise alone had some people's hackles-ups. Uh, just the image of seeing Taika Waititi dressed as Hitler in a promo image is, is uh, I don't know, either alarming or intriguing, depending on who you are. Um, but uh, the buzz that I've heard is that it is incredible. So I'm excited to see that.
4: I think it's exciting. I I don't know. I, I First of all, I like the... I mean, I think one of the best Hitler performances is Charlie Chaplin. I like when comedians do Hitler. And mm-hmm. so, and, and Taiki Batit is, is just, he's hilarious. Yeah, He's hilarious. If he could, do you know if he's keeping like the New Zealand accent? Because I'd actually. That would be, that would be really, I really funny. Be,
0: I've never, I was trying to that think if I've ever heard of him. If I've ever heard him not do it, and I guess, like, I guess what we do in the shadows, he's doing like a British thing, and then right. he's in what, Green Lantern during an American accent? So, uh, he's in Green yeah. Lantern? Yeah, he plays like the nerdy sidekick. Wow. In Green Lantern. Yeah look it up folks um, I think fact. another
2: thing that Jojo Rabbit has going for it is that it co-stars Scarlett Johansson who has not had any issues recently you know no. she's mm. Teflon you know spotless um, no I mean I, I think that that's one of the definitely one of the more intriguing movies at um, Toronto this year and I think that um, the fact that they got it as a world premiere is is a coup for the festival mm. um, because certainly it's something that people have been buzzing about something that they didn't get as a world premiere but will be there also speaking of Scarlett Johansson is the uh, new Noah Baumbach film *Marriage Story*, um, which I believe is world premiering at Venice. Uh, you know, granted, I heard it from a source that was biased, but like I've heard like really good things about that movie. Um, that did it like, Greta
1: Gerwig work on this at all? Is this only? Still no, this Baumbach. is just
2: a bomb back. It's Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, Adam Driver, Merritt Weaver, Ray Liotta, Julie Haggerty, Alan Alda. I mean, it's, it's my my. <laughs> it's quite a group of people. <laughs> wow. And it's about just about a divorce, kind of cross, you know la new york kind of um which sounds you know a little bit thin maybe but um anyway i keep sounds hearing like Noah. Things. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds like him yep um so but you know he did divorce so well in the squid and the whale and um i i, I think that uh it's fertile territory for him to mine because it's personal territory and i don't know so i'm excited about that i will be curious to see between this and jojo rabbit how johansson manages you know because she's been justifiably dented lately um, for some stuff she said in the press about um, her v- various uh, misadventures in playing roles she shouldn't um, or, or trying to play roles she shouldn't. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it could be a redemptive arc for her or it could mean that people kind of treat the movies that much more, uh, you know, stringently because, Critically. because, yeah. because yeah. of her involvement.
4: She's a great actor, so yeah, as long as she does her thing... and. You know, on the press some, tour, everyone behaves. Yeah.
0: Some <laughs> people just shouldn't give interviews. They just is, shouldn't or, should, answer shouldn't certain talk. questions. Plead the yeah. fifth. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, go on Watch What Happens Live. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, you know, I, I've, I've also heard some. There have been whispers for a while. I guess someone someone involved in this movie is putting out whispers, I guess. But, but I've heard really good things about the Noah Baumbach movie. Um, people are very excited about it. So I'm excited.
0: Also, can I just say really quick shout out to my Little goldman dark horse pick for Best Picture, which was Knives Out, or just to get nominated. I think I just said it was just going to get nominated, which is which sounded crazy at the time. But now it's at Toronto. It's at Toronto. So yeah. there's something. So shout out to Ryan Johnson and Knives Out. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm I like that. Excited. We got Adam Driver and Laura Dern as a Star Wars reunion over in one corner. And then Ryan Johnson yeah. is there. Pretty, pretty soon they'll all be showing up at Toronto somehow.
2: Do you guys remember a couple years ago when I kind of had like a weird seizure and went into a trance and I just kept saying Meryl Streep, David Schwimmer, Meryl Streep, David Schwimmer? Well, there, mm-hmm. so it turns out that that's because Meryl Streep and David Schwimmer are both in the same movie that's going to be at Toronto. Oh. Called, well, called the, <laughs> called the Laundromat. So I was I was prophesizing yes. something. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Steven Soderbergh's new movie. <laughs> right. It's a whistleblower mm-hmm. movie. Another thing that everyone's doing right now. Um, you know, comedy actors are doing drama, and then everyone else is doing whistleblower things. Um, there's also the report coming out um, that'll also... Also be at Toronto, um, but yeah, this one uh, shot in in kind of California. It's about something about political figures and taxes, avoiding taxes. It's and about it's, the
1: Panama Papers, isn't it? Oh,
2: that's right. Yes, thank you. But anyway, it's Meryl Streep, Gary Oldman, David Schwimmer, Antonio Banderas, who's about to have a great year because *Pain and Glory*, the Elmodovar right. film, is going to come uh, to North America, and I think make a lot of people uh, excited. Uh, Matthias Schoenarts James Cromwell, Will Forte, mm. Chris Parnell, Jeffrey Wright. Uh, you know, it's one of those Soderbergh uh, ensemble-y pieces. Yeah. But and... Soderbergh and Merrill, that's
4: interesting. Right? That's exciting to me. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what that could possibly look like. I don't know how you, I don't know how Merrill Merrill's in Soderbergh. That's, like, I just, I
2: don't know. He doesn't really brook that kind of, no. like, Like, when, when
4: Merrill's cast in Big Little Lies, it's like, oh, I know exactly what Merrill's gonna, you know, like, eat the scenery and, and be there to curse everyone out, and she lived up to that. In Soderbergh, I don't know, I don't know what that would look like. Um, so I'm 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 interested. I'm excited. We might get. It's smooth, also just cool, crazy Meryl. that
1: she's doing a Panama Papers movie after doing the Pentagon <laughs> Papers movie in the post. It's I, I, it's going to even make me even more stupid about American history and get after them mixed doing up.
4: Thatcher, she's just going through that period. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all have our, our papers period. I can't wait for her her cameo <laughs> in Harriet. <Right>.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: She's yeah. going to sing the song.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, she does. She does sing now. Yeah, yes. that, that's, yeah, that's actually a risk. Yeah.
1: I was excited to see uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton have a movie on this list. And, Joanne, I need you to translate for me. He's going to do a Marvel movie after this, right? Yeah, he's doing Shang-Chi. Yeah. Uh, so before he goes into the Marvel minds, he's got a, a, movie additive. He was the director of a uh, short term 12, which I think maybe right. pound for pound had the best cast of any movie to come out in the last decade. Yeah. Um, and it's, he had the glass castle, which did not really make as much of an impact, but, uh, just mercy. He's got this incredible cast with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And it's a, it's a civil rights defense, like death row case. I'm a little fuzzy on the actual story behind it, but you can, not can't beat the cast he's got.
4: Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that purely based on my affection for short-term 12 because I completely agree with you that, like, that was the, just the perfect career-launching but sincere and smart movie. Um, and, yeah, I think Michael B. Jordan's interesting, and Jamie Foxx, I would love to see more
2: of him not on Beaches Am. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, what is the game Although show he's hosting now? I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> I watched
2: Beaches Am recently because uh, – the person I was with wanted to watch it. I was pretty mesmerized. It, no, it. it's, 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 mesmer, it's absolutely mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah.
4: There's just a, a pretty I don't even know what the word for it is, clip of that show going around of a guy winning a million dollars for answering a pretty easy question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we should all know. We? <laughs> we should we should all. But yeah, Jamie Foxx is uh, yeah, I mean yeah. The world needs more of Jamie well, Foxx.
2: Our, our friends at the Blank Check podcast have been doing their Michael Mann uh, season recently, which has given me reason to kind of reconsider Jamie Foxx and Collateral and Miami Vice right. and um, Ali. And it's like, yeah, he, what, he's such a good actor and, and such is. an exciting screen presence, such a natural screen presence that, like, it's weird that he's kind of gone the sort of... I, I don't know what it is. Easy yeah. to root or or he what? you saying Robin moment. Hood
1: wasn't a challenge enough for him?
3: Oh, Robin Hood, that's right. <laughs> Robin Hood, yeah. that's right, yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> but there was that moment when it was like, Jamie Foxx is going to be our next Will Smith, or like our mm-hmm. next musician to sitcom to movie star. And then he won the Oscar. And I really thought
2: that that was going to be sustained. And it wasn't in, in the way that I thought it would be. Yeah. So hopefully this will be something yeah. of a return for him. Yeah. Um, Speaking of returns uh, and smaller things that are world premiering at Toronto, um, Corey Finley, who made a movie called Thoroughbreds a couple years ago that um, I didn't love, but showed a lot of interesting, promising talent. Finley is a playwright turned um, film screenwriter and director. Um, So his movie um, coming out is called Bad Education, um, which uh, is about I think it's based on a true story about a public school embezzlement scandal. That's what IMDb is telling me. But intriguingly, it stars not only Hugh Jackman and Al- recent Oscar winner Allison Janney, but Jimmy Tatro from American Vandal, yes.
0: who oh. is so
2: good. Who um, was
0: so good in Stuber? Just kidding. No
2: I love that we were Stubor. silent in Allison Janney. <laughs> yeah, you're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're so, like Dylan Tadra, you say?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Also, it has um, Geraldine, whose last name I'm going to butcher, but of Blockers, one of our faves from uh, our fave Blockers. Uh, is oh, this one, Viswan Th- well. G-
2: Geraldine Viswanathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Ray Romano's in it. I'm seeing. All right. Yeah. So this this could be. I mean, that's what is fun about Toronto is that you obviously your eye goes first to the big glitzy goldfinches of it, and then you kind of look down the list and you're like, oh, that's actually that actually could be a thing. I think yeah. like for me, that the, the movie that most immediately comes to mind. And I thought about it when you talked about the friend, Katie, um, the one, the, you know, the one based on the article is still mm-hmm. Alice. That was like oh, a Toronto yeah. movie that was like I was like there for the whole festival that year. And like toward the very end, my sister had joined me to kind of hang out and see some movies. And I was like, maybe we should see that. And then she won the Oscar for it. You right. know? So right. I feel like that, that's the kind of thing with Toronto. There are so many movies that certain things can kind of lie in wait. Um, I think about Green Book last year. You know yeah. that was something that no one's on no one's radar until we were at the festival. Yeah, yeah. and then it won like that audience prize, mm-hmm. and then yeah, that that was the beginning of that. Mm-hmm.
1: And then you wait for the schedule to be announced and realize all of the things that you'll never see because it's conflicting with something else, well, and right. uh, all <laughs> yeah. of your dreams fall apart.
4: It's such a huge, it's such a huge festival.
0: Yeah. Um. I want to. Can, can I mention one more thing that's on brand for me, but different from that comic book on brand thing that you expect yeah. from me, which is, um, you have many brands, uh, Joanna. Don't let me have so many brands, uh, personal history of David Copperfield, Armando Iannucci, um, with Deb Patel in the role. It's interesting for a number of reasons. One, the casting of Deb Patel is interesting for this yeah. story. Number two, Iannucci is not someone that I would think of for like a Charles Dickens adaptation. And so all of those elements combined have me like very curious as to what that's going to look like. So I'm a big, I'm a huge Dickens adaptation fan in general, um, and then this is just, like, something fresh um, that I'm excited to see. So. I'm
4: I'm excited for the same reasons. Yeah, I love Dickens. I love adaptations. And, yeah, Ianucci he could do something really strange with this. And Dev Patel, I think, is a really versatile actor in ways that we haven't really explored enough yet.
2: I, I, was, I was on a plane recently, and I watched Dev Patel in a movie called The Wedding Guest. That, it, sure. it, it's actually Michael Winterbottom directed it, oh. which is interesting. But it's... Um, he plays a guy who goes to uh pakistan to kind of rescue a woman who doesn't want to be married um and it's sort of a thriller but uh, but sort of not and kind of a romance but sort of not it's not a great movie but i was like dev patel as like bearded action star yeah yes please the world is ready he can do a lot Uh, (laughs) and i was into that um so yeah he should be
4: the next bond
2: actually was was he a part of the bond conversation at all he you just buried that great genius. idea yeah. in the middle
4: of the podcast. He should podcast. be the next Bond,
0: and he should keep the beard. He should Absolutely. be a bearded yeah, he should Bond. Keep the beard. <laughs> yes, that would be the most controversial.
4: Aspect he would be. He would be <laughs> incredible Bond. Mm-hmm. He would be mm-hmm. so
0: good. Sorry, I just want to circle really quickly back to Ianucci and say, like, when someone ad- adapts like a classic piece of fiction, you know, they have there's the opportunity to bring not just a fresh perspective, but just like a vitality to inject life into something that people might consider dusty. And that is something that I like, I don't think any Dickens is dusty personally. I'll watch like the fustiest like BBC adaptation of it or whatever. But I think the possibility for, you know, you think of like Carrie Fukunaga doing Jane Eyre or something like, you know, like you think of these things as like, okay, um, a, a new audience could get interested in this story, which makes me excited. So,
4: yeah, Dickens is great IP <laughs> that I'm <laughs> never going to complain about. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> Remember in the late 90s when everyone did a Jane Austen film? Absolutely. <laughs> like, that's, I miss that, and I would like more like, it's cool to do literary adaptations again. It's Time weird that, the that that's house.
4: the past, that, 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 like, The Jane Austen thing sort of did end. I, di- I didn't think about that, but yeah, because there was that moment when Jane Austen was the gal. Everyone was doing Jane Austen. And then that yeah. ended, and I feel like we never commented on that.
0: We had like four Emmas, four things right. that were like basically versions of Emmas. And then they're like, okay, and we, we've done it. And you're like, yeah, I guess, she, I guess she does only have like seven books. That's fine. Um, so yeah.
1: So there's obviously lots more to talk about with the TIFF lineup. And good thing we have an expert on. Uh, I'm going to share this interview that I did with Cameron Bailey, who is in charge of the Toronto International Film Festival and will be able to give us some insight on how all of these great films got chosen. I wanted to start by asking you just if there's anything on this lineup that when you look at it either feels like the the biggest get for you guys or just feels like you can't wait for people to see it.
3: Oh, tough call. I mean, I know there's been a lot of anticipation of movies like Joker and Hustlers and we're thrilled to have those for sure. So those are probably big gets because there's been just so much um, online anticipation. Yeah. Uh, But I, I can't wait for people to see Jojo Rabbit. You know, I, I love Taika Watiti's work. I think he's really brilliant and hilarious and is able to do something that's very, very hard to do, which is to take, you know, tough, complicated uh, ideas like fascism and hate and, and unpack them and make it funny and draw you in. And Jojo Rabbit does all of that uh, and which are to be premiering it.
1: Yeah. I wanted, I wondered if you would have a sense now and you can't always predict what audiences are going to like, but you know, you mentioned Hustlers and Joker and things that audience are going to be into. Do you have like an early people's choice award prediction favorite or something that at least you think the audiences might really love that maybe they don't know they're going to love yet?
3: Um, I'd be very foolish to make predictions as <laughs> it's <laughs> never a good idea, but, uh, I do, there's, there's a couple that maybe audiences might not be as familiar with that are, I think, a really high impact in terms of just the, the emotion, the, the kind of journey they take audiences on. Just Mercy is one of those that I think people are going to respond to in a very strong way. It's an incredibly powerful story, and, and Destin Daniel Cretton is a remarkable filmmaker. He's working with, you know, some of the top actors uh, working right now in, in Jamie Foxx and Michael D. Jordan and Brie Larson I think that's one for sure um, I think you know the the uh, the laundromat people are going to really respond to in a big way it's um, it's got an emotional core to it mostly through Meryl Streep's character but it's just uh, a kind of a no holds barred satire about our money all of our money really mm-hmm. and and what happens to it and where it goes and what it means. Uh, and I think that's something that probably everybody will be able to relate to. Um, and it's one of a number of films like Greed, actually Michael Winterbottom's film is uh, dealing with a somewhat similar subject. Um, what else would I say? There's some really uh, lovely, more intimate films like Ordinary Love uh, with Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville, which is just beautiful. Um, and, Heartbreaking in ways, but uh, but you know it's a story of a couple, and you want to kind of you want to be with them, you want to be in their company, um, and we have a few movies where it's just you kind of you want to enter the world and you never want to leave, and that that's that's one of them.
1: Yeah, I saw you say in another interview that if there is any theme to the programming, it's like the idea of kind of grappling with the world with with kindness and I think, you know, a beautiful day in the neighborhood is like that. Yeah, is it you, right. you don't have to always program feel good movies, but do you feel like there's a sense now of like people not wanting necessarily to escape, but just to to see maybe good or or thoughtful human behavior?
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, you read the headlines, you you watch cable news, you go onto Twitter and you can feel like we're at war with each other. And the movies that we saw this year that that we, we most responded to didn't really just show us that war, but they showed us how you get to a kind of armistice of peace, you know, some kind of truth uh, and learn to empathize with each other, even if you disagree. And, you know, George Rabbit does that. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood does that. Just Mercy does that. So many films where it's not about the conflict, it's about getting through it and getting past it. Uh, because it seemed, you know, if, if we're just going to kind of live in the, the fractious war that we, we see all around us, then uh, there's no way out. And these movies actually offer a way out.
1: So what is it like for you just personally? You've been seeing these films over the last few months, few weeks. I assume some of them maybe aren't finished yet when you see them. What is it like to Mm -hmm. live with having seen so many of these highly anticipated movies and not really be able to talk to it about, talk about them (laughs) with most people? You have to keep it to yourself.
3: Yeah. You know, that's that's part of the thrill of the job, but it it can be frustrating at times as well because you can, and and there could be some day where you're watching, you know, Knives Out and you come out of this incredible you know, comedy, Who Done It from Ryan Johnson, you troll, you want to talk to people about it, but you can't. And then you go into this heart wrenching story, um, you know, like uh, like Just Mercy or marriage story, which is, you know, anybody who's been in a couple, I think, is gonna really feel that movie on a deep level. And again, you can't talk about that either. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the gratifying is that we really do think about you know, how movies affect us on a deep level are going to affect audiences. And so you look forward to that moment in September when the lights go down and you can begin to feel that same impact on, you know, 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 people in a movie theater.
1: Hey, I wanted to ask what your, if you had like a definition for the gut feeling that you get when you know something is going to work for you guys, like not just a movie that you love, but something that's part of the festival. Do you always know it when you're watching something, or does it take kind of talking with your team and thinking about it?
3: You know, I think there's kind of two feelings. One is that just that emotional gut punch where, you know, movie connects with you and you connect with it emotionally because it's maybe something you've been through yourself or you recognize something of yourself in it. I think everybody watching movies, Feels that sometimes that's one of the reasons we go to movies. Uh, but then there's also this other feeling, which is, I hope they don't mess it up. <laughs> you know, you're watching a movie and it's really good and it's really good and it's getting better. Yeah. I and mean, it gets to be so good that you're you're just anxious that it's going to go off the rails. And there are the thrill is when you get through a whole movie like that, just hoping that it stays as good as it was at the beginning. And it delivers. And there's, you know, several movies where I would say that's the case. Joker is one of them. Uh, Uncut Gems, the Safdie Brothers movie is another one. Uh, You know, there's Harriet, I think, is another one as well. There's so many films that, you know, really reach that high level early on and, and stay there.
1: Well, you've gotten and you'd mentioned all those films, Joker and Harriet, they're kind of these big studio movies with big stars. There's a lot of power behind them. So many people want to premiere at Toronto, which just sets their movie up so well. How do you learn how to say no to some of these really high powered people who might want their movies there, but you know that they're not right?
3: I mean, you know, we have to do that dozens and dozens of times every year. Yeah, you know, we get around over 6,000 submissions, but even the ones that are, you know, strong contenders, not all of those make it just mm-hmm. because there's not, there's never enough room for all the films even that we like. But yeah, it's tough, and I, I recognize how much time and effort and money goes into making a film, and, and you know, people really pour their passion into it. And you have to recognize that and respect it, even if it's a film that's not going to come to us. You know, we hope that you know, there are other opportunities for those films. But we have to, we have to make hard choices. That's part of the gig. And our, I think our team gets used to, uh, to doing that.
1: And you you've learned how to be tough over the years of. Well, uh, now you're definitely the word the buck stops, so you really have to be the one. Who's yeah, the final I would say
3: firm, no. firm, and not mean. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> that seems, sounds very because I,
3: I really do I I I really do understand what it means to make something and have handed it off to somebody else to judge essentially, mm-hmm. and it's hard to be told no, right? But it's just that's part of the process, and it happens at every stage of creating anything. Somebody's gonna be in a position where they can say yes or no to you, and, and we, we are part of that sometimes, and it's, it's, uh, it's never easy, and you have to recognize that it's just a difficult thing you have to get through.
1: I saw in, I think, the LA Times that this year, 50% of the gala films were directed or co-directed by women, which is a record for the festival. And as we have known from seeing so many other lineups, like, that's not necessarily easy to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys have been committed to diversity at TIFF for a long time. But I'm curious if the last couple years of Focus on Time's Up and kind of focus on lifting up women directors, has it made it easier for you to achieve that kind of parody? Like, are you seeing more films by women coming to you to give you the opportunity to achieve 50% parity in, mm-hmm. the, in the lineup?
3: I would say there's a slight uptick in films directed by women at higher budgets with bigger casts, so mm-hmm. films that could work at, at the gala level. And that was a, more of a struggle, let's say, four or five, six years ago um, to find those films because, you know, there are always lots of films directed by women. But and this is still the case to a degree, um, if you look at our short film program, you know, Largely, parody is, is very uh, much within reach, and documentaries also, which are lower budgeted. So the the real turn in the industry will be when the people who have money to make movies give money to women equally uh, with men, mm-hmm. and that's beginning to change. It's, we're not there yet, but it's beginning to change, and it does mean that there are just more films for something like the gala section that we can see. But it's still, you know, the the proportion of movies that are sent to us directed by women is still not close to what we end up with. We are looking harder for films by women because that's also what our audience is, is looking for. People want to see themselves in their own stories reflected on screen.
1: Mm-hmm. What kind of feedback do you get from audiences like that? They want to see more films directed by women. What else have you noticed people asking for?
3: Well, you know, we're in a big, diverse city, one of the most diverse cities in the world. Half of the people who live here weren't born in Canada. They come from all over the world. And um, there's nothing kind of more pleasurable, more gratifying than to see something that reflects your own experience. So, yeah, people want to see more films by and about, uh, you know, black uh, characters or Asian characters or uh, queer characters, LGBTQ stories. You know, all of those things are part of what reflects just the world we live in. Uh, Stories about uh, disabled characters. All of these things are... Things that we should all be seeing more of honestly it is not just whether or not it reflects your story but I think watching a wide range of films just broadens everybody's experience and I hope generates empathy allows you to see different ways of um, of, of, of just how people move through the world and we're lucky that in Toronto all of that's around us every day so it's not it feels like it's something that is just natural right it
1: just makes sense because that's that's the world we live in yeah you guys are kind of wisely have talked about how you don't really think about awards buzz when you're programming your films because you have to program the festival Mm -hmm. you want but i'm curious what it's like for you after the festival's over when you watch something like Alison and janney you know writing from the itania premiere at tiff Mm -hmm. to to an oscar or green book you know being the people's choice award winner like do you watch the oscars and kind of silently cheer when you know that the tiff (laughs) audience has picked it first does it feel like some kind of accomplishment for you guys
3: of course. Yeah. I mean, because you remember those moments as well. You know, Still Alice is another one, especially mm-hmm. when they're films that are a little bit unheralded going in. Uh, the Wife was a film that uh, premiered, I think, you know, in the second half of our festival a few years back with Glenn Close. Terrific performance. A lot of people missed it or slept on it uh, at the time, but it was great to see her doing so well in awards season um, recently. Uh, Green Book, of course, is another one. And those underdog stories are, are always, I think, the most, um, fun as, as you watch those films kind of come out of the, the back of the pack to, to the front.
1: Yeah. Um, maybe to close this up and not to make you pick any favorites from this year's slate, but from years past, like, are, you know, people who've been to Toronto have seen you on stage, introducing these films, talking to the filmmakers. Are there any particular premieres that like you really relish in your memory or like feel like what TIFF is all about to you? <sighs>
3: Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are a few. I, Tonya is one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. When we saw that movie, it wasn't finished. It was, there were still some sort of rough edges that they were still working on. And then to see how well it played with the audience, that was a big one. Mm-hmm. 12 Years of Slave, when, we, you know, we launched that one, that was, that just felt like such a momentous film and filmmaking at such a high level. That's kind of a, one of those once in a lifetime moments to see Steve McQueen and his cast uh, launch that film in Toronto. There have been a few others like that, but um, it's exciting every single year.
1: All right, um, Cameron Bailey, thank you so much. I'm really excited to come to Toronto, and this lineup is incredible. So thank you so much. Thank you.
3: Yeah, looking forward to having you here. All right, thanks. Okay, right. Katie. Thank you. Bye.
1: That does it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Keep rating us, reviewing us, telling people to listen. As you can tell, there are a lot of upcoming awardsy movies to talk about, and we will be talking about them. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Cam.
4: Uh, I'm at Melvomatic. Richard, uh, Rylos.
1: and Joanna. Joe wrote this. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best way to review Joker without getting the fanboys furious at you goes to Cam Collins.
4: Plead the fifth.